This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of our podcast today is Ashley Friedlein, CEO and founder of Guild. Obviously, we want and will need growth. We want quality, really, and value more than quantity. We don't need massive volumes of usage to to drive an ad-funded revenue model because ours isn't an ad-funded revenue model but we you know if we're going up against the whatsapps and linkedins and things ultimately we do need and you know to get engagement even habits there is a network effect thing that the more people are on guild in many ways the more valuable it becomes and if your if your contacts are all professional contacts or your most valued professional contacts are all on guild that builds massive defensibility against other you know competitors or future competitors we experience it like the other way around like with you know going up against whatsapp and stuff it can be hard for some people well i'm just used to using that and yes yours is better but i still can't be bothered to switch so you know we do need the growth but i need to try and not sacrifice quality at the same time so what we're trying to achieve i'd call various things but sort of intimacy at scale this is ashley He's one of the most influential and connected figures in digital and marketing. As one of the many recommendations for him on LinkedIn reads, if Ashley doesn't know it, it ain't worth knowing. He's the author of two best-selling books on digital, a columnist, commentator and blogger, and he speaks worldwide on digital and marketing trends. Ashley is involved in a number of digital businesses and ventures as an investor, advisor, mentor and operationally. He believes the world deserves a new kind of digital communication platform, and hence he founded Guild. Guild is a messaging platform for professional groups, networks and communities. And the purpose behind the company is bringing people together for professional good. It's a technology business, but it cares most about human behaviors and the power of connecting people to collaborate and do good things together. And that inspired me, and hence I invited Ashley to my podcast. We explore how technology can help in creating more meaningful connections around professional use cases and how there is room for new players, even in a market that is densely populated. Ashley shares his wisdom around where he puts his focus in building a remarkable software business and what it takes to grow by word of mouth and create virality. We also dig into the potential pitfalls to avoid in growing your startup, especially when venture capital steps in. 
By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, how you can create remarkable products by not only solving a specific problem, but also cater to a human need or desire. Secondly, you will learn the different insights how to think about creating a viral effect with your product. Thirdly, why big impact is often created by being relentlessly focused on adding incremental improvements all the time. And fourthly, how to go about spending VC money in a phase where you haven't reached product market fit yet. So hi Ashley, thank you for making the time today and be a guest on my podcast. Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks for having me. Pleasure. I'm mean, actually wondering how, how this all got about. I mean, I got introduced to Guild, I think through, through someone on Lunch Club, Mark, and he introduced me to you and that's where I became part of you. Yeah, of the community that you're running, typically around people that actually create communities, which is, of course, what I'm doing. I like what you're doing. And I think also there's, I got intrigued by the whole story around it and what drove you to create this platform, because it's, it's different from one, the ones I know. But let's dig into that throughout the podcast and that whole story of, yeah, starting this about a year ago now as a new adventure. So before we start... A little bit about you. If you would have to describe yourself in two or three words as a person or entrepreneur, what words would come up? <laughs> Gosh, curious as an adjective, you know, like learning things, trying new things. Ambitious. So, you know, I, I have kind of big ideas, being big visions. Again, probably quite normal for entrepreneurs. And I don't know what the the adjective is for around integrity, integritus, integral. I don't know what that is. But no, I have quite high standards of sort of old-fashioned honor and, and things like that, integrity. Not a bad one to have. I wish more people had that, <laughs> saying this and doing the other thing. So yeah, that's good. So I saw that, you, that your company, Guild. By the way, where did the name Guild come from? Is this from the Middle Ages? Did you get, did you get inspired by that? Yes, it's one of the, you know, we had various, as I think lots of early businesses, various names, you know, in the very early days when you're brainstorming <laughs> names. I think Hive we had at one point, which was the front runner. But then you know, British Gas, well, the Hive, British Gas have, I think, one of those thermostat things like Nest and Hive is used by other people. So probably lucky we didn't go with that. But the high, the idea was a sort of collective mind and sort of peer groups and tapping into the wisdom of the crowds type idea. But Guild came along, yes, because it was meant to be sort of professional groups about craft and quality and learning. And you're right, it obviously harks back to the medieval guilds. And we quite liked the idea of, I mean, it's a messaging app. So, you know, it's, it's fairly cutting edge technology and it's a tech startup. But playing back to something quite old, we liked that kind of tension there. And actually quite a lot of what I feel is important about Guild or about technology generally, actually, is to try and keep it human and not automate and algorithmize everything too much because I think we lose some of the humanity. So I think some of the old values there's a danger we throw them out because they're old but actually there's a you know they're good and so so yeah it, that was the kind of the name great name great name and it, it, it well it brought back that picture well that's a good thing in the first place because it's one word that explains the whole thing <laughs> yes although i think in america i, like the- I mean I, I don't know culturally it'd be interesting to see how it plays out around the world i think americans have a slightly different view and not quite I'm, i need to dig into exactly what connotations guild has for them yeah. And also, you know, the downside is it can sound a bit 
the negative connotations around guild are sort of secrecy or protective overprotectiveness and things like that it's almost a bit masonic and so yeah that's in our early designs almost i think overly encouraged that we've been through a few design iterations and the latest design refresh almost to try and counter that impression of a like a gentleman's club type feeling which is not what we wanted so that i completely agree with that but i don't i have the, mm. don't have the feeling from it from what i see from the outside i like what you're saying about keeping it human it's the reason why i started this podcast kind of the stories about the value that we kind of unlock when technology and people blend in the right way so what i first of all i mean like you said this is a messaging app and the, the first thing that came up with me is like okay you're pretty bold to start a new messaging app well <laughs> about a year ago when all of these companies were already there, Facebook, LinkedIn, WhatsApp, and you name them, Messenger. Well, I mean, on your website, you said, we believe the world needs a different kind of digital communication platform. Tell me. Yeah, I think, uh, to be honest, uh, to be an entrepreneur, you need healthy levels of self-delusion, really, don't you? <laughs> Otherwise, you'd never do anything. And it, it, you, you sort of have to balance that. You know that most startups fail. I mean, that's just a fact. And yet you need to do it anyway, and you need to believe in it. So, yeah, it's just kind of big and, and slump, somewhat challenging to take on the other big messaging apps. And, and not just the ones you mentioned, but there's all sorts of, you know, Signal and Telegram and, and I mean, yeah, Slack exactly. partly is in that and Teams and all sorts. So my passion, I think, is communities and specifically professional or B2B communities. I mean, there's lots of B2C communities that are very successful as well. They tend to be maybe more around customer service and support or, or kind of market research, co-creation things. Whereas B2B is often there's deeper domain expertise in whatever niche it is, tends to be lower volume, higher value, more about quality rather than quantity, et cetera. So just I just prefer that kind of space. And my first business e-consultancy was started out as a web forum, essentially, for marketers learning about digital marketing and e-commerce. So that was way back in the late 90s, over 20 years ago, that was a community that only existed online and in the old kind of web bulletin boards, discussion forums and email lists. Then we had social media came along and in B2B that was LinkedIn and Twitter and things. And actually it sucked quite a lot of the life force out of a lot of, lot of those forums, which I think was a bit of a shame because some of those forums actually work really well. And the you know, reasons for that, they can invest more in tech. I think, to be honest, there was a degree of vanity that you know, people wanted. Platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter are quite public on the whole still. So it, it's kind of more about marketing than private communities. And then I'd seen... So I've seen that happen. And then obviously mobile came along, not just mobile web, but then mobile apps and specifically messaging. And I'd seen, you know, I am in and even run some WhatsApp groups. It's not just WhatsApp. So there's, there's Telegram and around the world, obviously, there's WeChat in China and all sorts. But I could clearly see that messaging as a medium with its sort of intimacy, it cuts through in a way that email doesn't. You know, when done slightly naughtily, it's almost addictive, actually. There's interesting, you know, but there's push notifications, all that kind of stuff. App mentions mm -hmm. was massively growing. I mean, you look at any of the stats, it's hugely growing and not just in consumer use. It was spilling over into professional use and, you know, trends at work. People are bringing their own devices. They're using consumer tech much more for work stuff. So I just sure. felt that there was a need for a sort of WhatsApp-like kind of experience, but designed and purpose-built for professional use. And so, you know, that means I was frustrated in WhatsApp. I didn't know who anyone was because there are no profiles. I couldn't see back in time from when I joined the group. I couldn't edit or delete stuff. 
people were taking my mobile phone number and spamming me with all sorts of stuff. And also from an, you know, in WhatsApp's not even legal for business use. It's against their own terms of use. It's not GDPR compliant. You don't know who's in, you know, it's a train wreck waiting to happen from a business owner's point of view. But loads of people use it. So yeah, we ultimately need to do better. And and so so, so yeah, that's kind of it. It's a little bit, Gil, there's a li- elements of LinkedIn because there's a professional network that underpins it, unlike WhatsApp yep. or Slack, for example. But it's it's a messaging app, messaging experience. It's also mobile first. And- yeah. Yes, that's actually what I also experienced. I would rather use Guild for professional use than anything close to WhatsApp, especially the group part. So what sparked that idea? Uh, was it sudden aha moment where you said, okay, now I have to do it? Well, I suspect like um, lots of entrepreneurs, I have ideas all the time. You know, you know, you spot a need, whether it's something that you feel yourself in your job or daily life and think, oh, if only there was a thing which did Y, because I find it really difficult or problematic to do X. And I think that most entrepreneurs oh, and lots of people generally, they have ideas like that all the time. But ideas, I think, are quite easy. It's the execution bit that's hard. And and certainly having bad ideas is very easy. So there are some ideas that I find, you know, stick with you and just won't go away over time. And then there are other ideas you wake up in the morning and think that's a bad idea or, or I am. It's a good idea, but I'm personally not capable or suited to I don't have the skills to do that thing. Whereas Guild, you know, was just one of those that did stick around and and it felt close to home in as much as it is about, you know, using technology to bring professionals together which I'd done at eConsultancy. And, you know, I mean, my business partner, Matt, is the, is the technical one developer. So we have the capability to kind of, you know, build stuff. And I'd done it before, just web-based rather than a mobile app. And so, yeah, it just sort of came to the point. And then you start to kind of, you know, think of the names. You start to wireframe and design it up a little bit. And and then, you know, then you get to the point where you've got to build before it. You know it's probably when you need some money at that stage to actually start doing the tech build and, and kind of launching it. Yeah. So, yeah, it did. I mean, it's taken, although it's only been publicly live since this year, last year we had sort of, it was like a private beta, but it was another two or three years before that, that it was, you know, brewing in my mind, turning into designs and identities and prototypes and wireframes and things. So, you know, it does take a while. Yeah. So what I'm always interested in is like, so, so what is it, what is the opportunity if you get this right? If the world starts to use this platform rather than anything else, what impact do your customers see? Well, there's, I mean, there's a slight difference, I suppose. Currently, our customers, as in the people who pay us money, are the people who host groups. So they run, they pay us as a platform to be able to run groups, networks, communities on guilds based on a sort of per, roughly on a per user fee per year. So it's a SaaS model, freemium SaaS model. The end users then, so they aren't paying. The customers benefit, it's really... I mean, it's diff- they've got different business models. Some have, you know, sponsors, for example, so they might have a co-branded group or sponsors in the group. Mostly it's about engaging members, subscribers, readers, delegates, stakeholders. We have, you know, schools using it for senior leadership teams. We have boards using it for board communications. So it's just about, you know, as I say, that people have experienced for better or worse the powers of messaging particularly through sort of whatsapp but there's messenger and all sorts of others and so can we can we create or recreate that kind of connection and intimacy using messaging but just for these sort of professional use cases and so obviously you know emails got challenging events aren't really happening at the moment linkedin groups have died a death the challenges or the, the opportunity of benefit is you know, how do you actually 
cut through you know people's attention they got so much stuff how do you engage these professionals anymore when you know they're overloaded with email and linkedin sort of fatigue and zoom you know so that's that's kind of why i suppose people want to use it and then over time you know there are other benefits you because you're sort of capturing knowledge you can search you're making connections you're, you're actually doing business you know you've got loads of people who've got jobs via guild they've won consulting work they you know it's still people in doing business you know so yeah. it's uh, it has to have some value ultimately yeah i mean as if it's just on your website you care about the human behavior about the power of connecting people to collaborate and do good things together and i think that that part about the do good things together is is the end result and it has many flavors of that yeah exactly and some of those are more you know like giving back i mean i i sharing your expertise and, and getting a, a reward so that's quite an emotional thing but doing business as well, you know, transacting stuff, selling stuff, buying stuff, you know, most of guilds sort of skews towards professional services, I suppose, and the sort of knowledge economy. So because it's fairly easy to, given it's, you know, it's text fundamentally and, and pictures or videos, mostly text still, then if you have got expertise or advice or connections to offer, and that's the thing of value, you can actually kind of transact that over guild. Whereas if you're, yeah selling physical objects and things or you work in a restaurant then it's kind of a bit less clear why you would want to use guild yeah and i believe well what you're saying is that that makes a lot of sense and i do also believe there was a, a gap that needed to be filled for all those platforms particularly for for professional use i wrote a book about what defines a remarkable software business the remarkable effect and what i'm always interested in, in terms of okay this is about software it's b2b software so when you start off, you start off with this big idea, you create your minimum viable product, but then you start to perfect it. What have you done in order to make the experience remarkable, something that people talk about, something that becomes the thing that people want to come back to? Any specific things that come to mind there? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I don't think we do have that, to be honest. I mean, there's another, I'm trying to manifest sort of a book or this accepted best practice that to get people to... I mean, we're trying to either change or create a behavior and actually even a habit. And you know, there's a fine line with addiction, but repeat usage, which is notoriously hard to do. You know, to get people to change their habits or to create a habit is pretty hard. And so typically they would say, you know, if you've got a new product, it needs to be at something or the thing that it does. It needs to be 10 times better than the, exist the incumbents. Otherwise, yep. people won't switch just because they can't be bothered they can't quite see the point and you know in a lot of and you know, successful wildly successful products you can think of often there's a little thing which is the thing that people talk about or that makes it successful so you know arguably instagram it was the image filters but that's kind of that was it really even in something like we work which i know is had its troubles and is you know, but it's office space i think got was massively talked about because it had free beers on a friday that was the thing that everyone <laughs> said. That was why WeWork was so great. I mean, there's lots of other spaces like WeWork. And I mean, I think with Guild, we haven't, I'm not sure we've ever had that or, or have that quite, to be honest, as in the killer feature or the killer difference. Cumulatively, there's a lot of things that we do differently, I think. So lots and lots of little details and the nature of your profile, and which is very different set for, from WhatsApp. The fact that we have a charter and, and so... I think, though, the and it's interesting when we hear and it's always very powerful to hear your customers or users tell you 
what they think your product is or what they like about it rather than yeah. you rather than you formulating that because sometimes what they say you think well that sounds great or that's really good or yeah that is exactly it but you've put it better than I could in truth they sort of put it in slightly different ways but I suppose it's it's about creating an environment in this case it's a digital environment but it's similar for in the physical kind of world as well where people feel kind of safe to be honest or vulnerable or and you know that is a very fundamental human need you know it's one of the maslow's in hierarchy of needs that what we really what i really want to do is to create a you know environment of trust of respect of good behaviors and and to do that you need to create a space which encourages that or you know rewards that or potentially at some point not punishes but can control that let me make a small interruption here Ashley just made an excellent remark about how he and his team are building on the strength of existing products, but addressing some of the very fundamental needs such as trust, respect, and good behavior. It's that approach that allows them to create a product that is different and not just better than the other options. And this enables them to successfully carve out a niche and grow around a professional use case in ways WhatsApp and LinkedIn can't. And this is a trait that remarkable software companies master. They aim to be different, not just better. They're curious about what people really need. And with that, create new value possibilities to create an experience that is actually 10 times better. You can master these traits as well. And I have two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. And you can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs it will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths, and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers share their experiences with our tribe and how they have come to value that. Back to the interview. So we have various moderation features, for example, which again, you can't, doesn't exist in WhatsApp and things. So you can always edit or delete stuff. The host can, can delete inappropriate messages. So there's lots and lots of things, I think, but it, it's about creating that environment. And so it is, you know, it's interesting that, again, a lot of best practice with products, software products, and the, the classic VC question is, what problem does this solve? Yeah. And I kind of get that. And, and, and certainly some B2B software, you need to have a clear answer to that. But then I often think the most powerful products don't solve a specific problem necessarily. They, But they do solve or cater to a human need or desire or want you know so there was never any you know people didn't wake up i mean if you take instagram which i mentioned that doesn't solve a problem i mean I, or like well my i don't think there were problem people were thinking my problem is i can't filter my images uh, to make them look a bit cooler that that is a human need which is about you know a self-realization another sort of a maslow thing and or you know vanity arguably self-image you know it's massively powerful and that's true of facebook it's true of a lot of these social things they don't solve a problem or fashion even you know we don't mostly have a problem with food or hunger or, or in, in parts of the world we do but in the west or with having an clothing but we still want to, you know, luxury brands play on not a problem, but a need or a want or a desire and an aspiration. And so I think often those things are more powerful than just, well, you know, solving, solving a a one thing. 
which is yeah, it's turning it the other way around. Yeah, you're not solving a problem; you're solving an aspiration. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it's it, it's not a it's a negative; it's a sort of positive or a want or a desire. Yeah. But you do, I mean, you kind of need both. Say in our case, arguably the problem is, as I talked about earlier, is that just being able to cut through and get your message literally through to other professionals in an age of, you know, saturation of information and noisy social platforms that if we can create a place, space, which people feel kind of safe and trusting and, you know, that's, that's what people talk about, you know, you know? because you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're touching upon an emotion that's important to them. Um, but it's a very hard thing, you know, like trust and, you know, like I told you, integrity earlier, but that's an easy thing to claim. It's a very hard thing to deliver on. It's a promise and it takes time. That's the other thing. I mean, you don't say, I'm not sure that's at the moment, it would be nice to have more of a kind of the that aha or customer delight or that one thing, which is, you know, again, time to value is the other thing in, in software talk about. But um, and I'm not sure we think about that a lot. I don't think we've quite nailed it, to be honest. So it's more about over time. It's something that people, you know, Guild is something that people, I, I feel, come to value and talk about more, but it not not necessarily straight away. You're thinking about it, of course, for my, own, for my own tribe as well. At the end, the whole thing around belonging plays a big role as well. You know, you join a group like this because it, it's with like-minded people, people that think like you, do like you. And like you say, if you have a safe environment where people can speak up and be vulnerable, that's extremely important. And all the other yeah. platforms don't even come close to that. No, it's interesting. I mean, I still feel, and say, with Egan Sonsi and, and, and Guild, were, what started off as pure digital, I still personally believe that by far the best way to build sort of trust and reciprocity and things like that and relationships is face-to-face despite you know the sort of zooming and this videoing thing it doesn't i just don't think it's the same so i think you know an an e-consultancy started out online but relatively quickly became an offline experience as well where we brought people together as round tables and events social things skiing trips poker nights we did all sorts of stuff and it was a bit social and a bit business and you know with guild a lot of the most successful engaged groups we have do they do meet physically well they currently they've not been able to obviously but you definitely see a level of engagement difference where people know each other in the real world. And I think that's, you know, it's, I find if I see someone online or their name comes up, if I've met them in the real world, you get this sort of fleeting vision of them in, in your brain about, you know, I don't know that, that time we had a drink together or we, Oh, we last met up at the King's cross and whatever. What does not happen is I get a fleeting image of their LinkedIn profile or even to be fair, their guild profile that's just not doesn't imprint yourself in the in your it doesn't it's not real in a way it's not like the real person and therefore it's i think a little bit harder to care it becomes a bit more transactional then rather than human yeah and i mean i can imagine when you started this off in may 2018 that's two years down the road right two and a half years almost i mean the whole thing around covid wasn't even no one could imagine it let alone you (laughs) so what have you done in the meantime in order to sort of make up for the, that difference that have, been, that have been created? Have you done anything since to, yeah, maybe do something technology-wise? You mean as a result of coronavirus or just yeah. anyway? I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, some specific little bits. So, for example, we have a very you know popular group on Guild called CREO, which stands for Coronavirus Response for Event Organizers. <laughs> long, but anyway, and it has over 700 members. 
But we, so we set that up, I think it was in February-ish of this year. So as we were going into, or just before lockdown even, as a support group, a peer, a peer group for event organizers who are going, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do? We need to get this virtual event tech. Is it hybrid? Is it pure online? Which tech platform should we use? How should we change the vendor? What about pricing and sponsors? How do we get them to give value, give them value online? And so that was a, I mean, we, we set that up just well, a because we wanted to get invite some users in get them to play with the product and you know that gives us useful feedback but also because we did want to support the event organizers not least because in my e-consultancy my former business i still work there a little bit it's only four days a month but we run lots of events so i am also an event organizer so i could see it from the inside and so just wanted to help i mean as it's happened we've ended up actually getting quite a lot of customers off the back of that it wasn't really sure. how set up but it, it has worked quite well so we have set up and we've set up a group called fort as well which is for furloughed or released talent so this is marketing digital creative pre type people who've either been furloughed or lost their jobs as a result of coronavirus and it's a support community where we post jobs we have asked me any anything sessions with people in the industry so it's a support community for people who've lost their jobs or say or been furloughed as a result of coronavirus so there's been a whole load of Groups, either we or you know customers of ours have set up. We give guild free to charities as well, and you know for good organisations, a lot of whom are doing great things around coronavirus. So yes, we have done those kinds of things. Also, we did a, a design refresh recently, which was in response to the fact that people said, "Well, we like guild. It's very clean and professional, but it's a little bit cold, a little bit too formal, lacks a bit of warmth and vibrancy." So that we had that and that was before coronavirus even. And actually they said it was often said it felt a bit male, given I am male, you know, maybe there was a design bias built in from the beginning, but that was, you know, interesting feedback was started based on that. But when also with the coronavirus, we felt that given the world was, you know, challenged and everyone was a bit doom and gloom or negativity, we wanted to inject some positivity. So, I mean, we've looked recently, but it, it changed, the color palette changed from being quite yeah. sort of black and, and, and brown and say clean and formal with a bit flat and dull to much brighter colors. Yeah, we've got exactly. this sort of a yeah. bright green teal color, a bright sort of magenta pink. And so that was actually, so our design was in part influenced by coronavirus, which is interesting, interesting how people do pay attention to that. Yeah. Get the feeling by design that it's for mail and that it's too transactional. It's like what just color and design can do to, an, to a perspective on, on what a product really is all about. Interesting. Mm. Fascinating. Talking about growth, what do you believe is holding you back to really accelerate? Are there any challenges on your routes where you say, hey, yeah, this is what we're currently working on to create new breakthroughs? I mean, obviously, we want and will need growth. I mean, the interesting challenge is that given our as I said right at the beginning, we want quality really and value more than quantity. We don't need massive volumes of usage to, to drive an ad-funded revenue model because ours isn't an ad-funded revenue model. But we, you know, if we're going up against the WhatsApps and LinkedIn's and things, ultimately we do need, and you know, to get engagement, even habits. There is a network effect thing that the more people are on Guild, in many ways, the more valuable it becomes. True. And if your if your contacts are all professional contacts or your most valued professional contacts are all on Guild, that builds massive defensibility against other you know competitors or future competitors. 
we experience it like the other way around like with you know going up against whatsapp and stuff it can be hard because some people well i'm just used to using that and yes yours is better but i still can't be bothered to switch so you know we do need the growth but i need to try and not sacrifice quality at the same time so what we're trying to achieve i'd call various things but sort of intimacy at scale which i think of as a bit you know if you think of like a religion for example which is essentially ideologies or, or belief system that is very can be very big and very global but you actually experience it in quite small ways you know maybe your local church or mosque or group of some sort so i think things can be big and intimate at the same time and so our you know the the classic vc question about how we get to you know 100 million revenue say is we expect, want, would want to have 100,000 customers paying us £1,000 a year. So relatively small amounts of money, but very large volume of, of customers and users. So that end users or customers will end up having some exposure to the, the whole kind of professional network or community across all of Guild, which hopefully be min- millions, tens of millions of users. Yeah, yeah. But the nature of their experience of it will be quite small in a way. And I think small is quite good. And, you know, we have... Professor Robin Dunbar is on our advisory board. And he's famous for the Dun- Dunbar number, which is 150. And, you know, we basically can't really know more than 150 people. So when we're in these groups of hundreds or thousands, it's, it's, it's a very, it's not at all very, it's not a real connection, really. It's just That's kind true. of numbers. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so we want big growth and big numbers, but actually experience in quite small groups and personal kind of one-to-one connections. Yeah. I but think I also believe... Okay. Yes, And what I also believe at the end is that the moment you keep it smaller, the moment the people get that quality out of it, that feeling that they are in the right in the right group and that want to be part of that even more, that's also where then it starts to starts to grow from a well, to create momentum. Advocates. Yeah. People spreading the word. Yeah, no, we haven't I mean I need to kind of get the specific kind of percentages, but obviously we track where our customer well end users and customers the sort of paying customers come from and the encouraging thing is at the moment that almost all of those are organic where either someone has referred us or they're an existing user in, in a in another group they've been invited into and they go oh this is interesting we could use this for our business in whatever way it is so they come to us and so obviously that's a good way to grow if we can do it that the more users we get the more users we get because they and more customers we get paying customers so that you do get that viral effect. So we have very low costs of customer acquisition. Exactly. We're just similar to where any social platform or, you know, famously Gmail and Dropbox and things like that. They, you know, quite cleverly built in that kind of uh, viral effect. So that, yeah, that's happening. And we're still, you know, relatively smaller numbers, but we're definitely starting to see that happen. And if we, if that becomes the engine of growth, that's great. We are, I mean, there's various things we have coming up relatively soon, which we think will help sort of turbocharge that. One is making groups discoverable. So at the moment, the groups are all private, hidden, invitation only, which is great for quality and privacy and things. But we also want to, so that if you want to make your group discoverable from within the app and, and also have a sort of web, public web landing page, so you can point people over to URL or it will come up in Google search results and things then you can, and people would still need to request to join the group. So you'd still can quality control the people that you let in. But it just allows, at the moment, we get people sometimes joining, go, well, I'm in one group, or sometimes they just download the app and, and sign up. They're not in any groups, and they're going, I'm, I'm feeling a bit, what am I meant to be doing here? Where, where are the groups that I can join? 
And so we will be, you know, allowing that. We'll also be allowing that at a individual profile level. So more like LinkedIn, if you want you personally to be discoverable, and again, still people would have to kind of connect to you in order to be able to message you. Yeah. But, you know, if I wanted to look you up on Guild, I can't really at the moment. I mean, if we weren't already in a shared group, but, you know, we will make that possible so that, that you get the, we want to be able to deliver sort of personal professional value as well as sort of for your business. So that's a difference, sure. something like Slack or Teams or whatever. If you leave the organization, the, the value's all gone. Like you don't take anything with you. Whereas with Guilds, we want it that you as an individual personal professional can get value out of it and as you move jobs you take your network with you and then you you know come and go from various groups and then the other thing we're quite excited about is very new really is the whole kind of passion economy you may have you know come across the vcs are all very excited about that and but there are platforms like patreon only fans mighty networks and things which are patreons valued over a billion now but they allow creators as they call them to charge their fans to be subscribers members of theirs now with that's great and they are you've got two hundred thousand creators you know they're doing a trans two billion worth of transactions i think now so it's it's massive but i think there's an we think there's an opportunity to do that in professional services so and you could use guild to do that so at the moment the model is the hosts pay and they invite people in for free but we're also looking at well if we allow the hosts to charge people to belong to their groups and guild just takes a cut so it's just a percentage of that fee that that could be really interesting where the what you're what you're selling isn't a you know the creators it's things like music and art or writing or whatever it is but if what you're selling is advice or expertise or contacts because you're a high-end tax consultant or architect or lawyer or whatever it is or marketing consultant or hr advisor why shouldn't you be able to use a guild as a platform to have paying members who could, you know, you could give them advice via direct message. You could have a, a, the group to kind of have the pooled brains or expertise yeah, of a true. group. So, yeah, that's, I mean, we'll see. That's a little bit down the line, but we're quite excited about that. Yeah, I mean, there's, the, the opportunities are endless at the end. So on that journey, two and a half years and down the road right now, talking about learnings, what has been well, the biggest obstacle that you had to overcome so far? And how did you do that? Well, I think any early stage business, you have every day or even every hour, you have highs and lows. So, you know, you win something, you lose something, someone says something nice or something critical or whatever, you know, you, there's lots of kind of ups and downs. The tricky thing is obviously initially is getting paying customers or getting customers at all, getting paying customers for guild, getting, you know, end users, even if not paying customers, when you've got nothing at the beginning, you know, obviously is hard. But that's true of any business, really, I suppose, where, you know, the early days, months, weeks, years, you're kind of, you know, that's the sort of hustling phase where you, I don't know, if I think back on it, you think, well, that would be crazy, or I don't know how we did that. But you do, you know, you have your personal connections that you, you try and lean on, you give it away for free, you try and persuade somebody an early adopter to try and take it on and then you kind of you know slowly try and build it and then suddenly you know it's interesting quite often now with guild we've seen a change where individuals might say or might have said well there's not doesn't feel like there's much going on in this group or you know i'm only in one group and there's you know i'm not checking the app very often because it's there's not much happening you know and that's that's a challenge because they're not getting value or they're not building a habit because there's not enough 
useful there. Now, sometimes we see the other way around where people are saying, well, I'm getting overloaded. There's too much going on and I need to leave some groups and things, which is more of a challenge for the big social players, obviously. So, you know, from a product point of view, you know, our focus might change a little bit in what is has already changed a little bit that's not true of all users or all, all customers but in the product roadmap you're thinking more about how do we try and build in sort of features and stuff to s- prevent that kind of overload you know whether that's more granular settings around you know notifications and emails and things whether it's smart filtering using ai to only you know send through the most relevant stuff whether it's making you know match you know, one of the things I'm kind of looking into at the moment is is technology, which might well be using AI to smartly create connections and one-to-one matchmaking between individuals that yep. might be in a group already or in shared groups. So, for example, you could say, well, once a week, a bit like the lunch club thing, we'll say once a week, and you can turn this on and off, we're going to introduce you to somebody who you are connected to by virtue of being in a shared group together, but who you have You've never looked at their profile. You haven't direct messaged each other. So you have something in common by virtue of being these groups together, but you clearly don't know each other, you know, I mean, or something like that, but where we are creating more proactively suggesting and creating hopefully valuable connections or, you know, that serendipity or even just a bit of fun. Yeah, true. So I completely um, get that. Yeah. I've not I mean, seen that done very well. From... Sorry. Yeah, I've, I've not seen that done very well. I mean, it's, it's a big lot of the event organizers are talking about it in their virtual, you know, networking is a huge part of physical events, you know, that, and that serendipitous chat at the end over a beer or in the coffee break. And that's really hard to do digitally. I mean, and the event platforms try with random speed dating type things or pre-arranged matchmaking or breakout rooms and stuff. And it's okay but it's not that great. And so I'm not sure any, I haven't seen anyone crack it particularly well, to be honest, yet. Well, there you go. So that's an interesting challenge. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, but there's definitely a lot of value in that. That's also the reason why I'm I'm sticking around with, with lunch club, because for some reason they get it quite right. Yeah. And it's, it's really valuable, valuable time spent. So looking at the time here, going back to, well, the book that I wrote, the remarkable effect, I introduced the 10 traits of a remarkable software business. You're running one yourself. What I'm always interested in is to hear from founders. What do you believe is required to build a software business that your customers keep talking about? Anything that stands out, as you say, that's the quality we need to have? I think, and it's maybe not just a software business, and this may be slightly wearing my marketer hat, is this customer focus or customer obsession um, that... You know, and Jeff Bezos and people like that, have, and, and even the Googles and Facebooks of this world, I think that they relentlessly and tirelessly improve the product. You know, so we're talking software in response to what customers need and want. And I know everyone kind of says that, but it's surprising. You know, lots of businesses don't really operate that way. They might say they operate that way, but because sometimes that might mean doing things which are not in your benefit as a business. Sometimes it's that what the customers tell you, you you don't want to hear because they it's not in line with your vision or, you know, you just say, well, that's your subjective opinion thing. So you've got to be and it's really hard. You have as a founder have to be this have the humility and humbleness or honesty to take that customer, you know, feedback and insights, which both be quantitative, you know, data or qualitative, what people are saying 
and respond to that, you know, not necessarily immediately and not knee jerk reaction, but you've got to, and you've got to stay close to those people all the time because things change, you know, new competitors coming, new trends, new expectations from customers. So I think, you know, and, and that is in product or software, sometimes it's some big changes or things like pivots or, you know, that killer, that, that killer feature that drives it. But often it's also just relentless, incremental kind of improvements all the time, all yeah. the time. And and I say, I think good marketers, they are the voice of the customer, really. They really understand the customer. They represent the customer to the business. And sometimes the business doesn't kind of really want to hear that. You know, and it's amazing. You look at you know, in, in loads of different categories, but the one that comes to mind for some reason is you know, accountancy software. So I remember using QuickBooks and Sage, for example, in, in my previous businesses, but this is pretty much pre-internet, but, you know, and they had these pretty clunky desktop applications with a horrendous sure. interface. And then you went into the internet era and long came people like Zero, which we now use as, as an example. And you could have told QuickBooks or Sage, and they, surely they knew that their software was horrendous interface and their web version was, was woefully rubbish compared to something like Zero. Yep. And they and it took them ten years. I mean, I think they're catching up, maybe finally. But you can be certain that only happened, you know, when things got so bad or zero got so big or whatever that you know they were almost, if not, or actually dead, because they were not listening to their customers. They were pleasing shareholders or paying for exactly. the CEO's bonus to retire by maximizing profits on their you know ten year incentive plan. I mean, that's yep. the reality. So, yes, I think that, that the great, you know, software or, or products and arguably just businesses generally are, do have that closeness to customers, absolute obsession with understanding what they want and need and improving towards it. That said, I th- I'm trying to remember the quote. I've got to dig it out, but it was CMO of Tesco about, you know, you should listen to what your customers say, but not do what they tell you, but figure out you know, what's the intent or reason behind what they're saying. She says it much more elegantly. But customers, their actual opinions of what you should do are usually wrong, or at least they're very different if you talk to lots of different customers. But the underlying need that they're expressing with their view is the thing you need to try and get to, I think. And that often is quite similar across customers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That was very wise, a wise insight, and I concur with that. So... From the lessons that you learned and the tidbits of wisdom that you've gathered over the, over time, what would you advise, well, aspiring tech entrepreneurs or tech entrepreneurs that really want to, yeah, move towards their next cycle of growth? What would you advise to do them differently? Is that as in ones who've already thinking about starting a business or you mean ones who are already running a business and wanting to grow it more? Wanting to grow. Well, let's, let's, let's focus on the ones that wants to grow it. I think, well, I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of stuff around product market fit and even founder sure. market fit is, is I think the new fashionable one, you know, maybe before as in does the founder or founders have some particular affinity or skills to fit with the market? And then you create the product and you've got to make sure that the product fits with the market or you've got something that people actually want and prepared to pay for. I think that, you know, the interesting thing with the growth bit is what you know investors ideally want and it depends you know at seed and series a and b it's it's slightly different things but is a scalable replicable predictable growth engine now whether that's you know via paid media 
or organic growth, viral growth and things doesn't necessarily matter. And then they have various pros and cons. But that's what they're trying to achieve. And obviously, if as a founder or founders, you not only can claim you have it, those things, but actually have those things, then you're in a great position. I mean, partly because you're much more likely to raise money, you know, raise extra money to fuel sure. that growth. And partly because you know in your heart of hearts that, you know, you're telling the truth as it were, it's true. I mean, not only that will make you sell the business better and, and, you know, get higher valuations and things, but it'll make you sleep better at night. So I think the reality is obviously lots of entrepreneurs, you, you kind of sometimes sell or say what you think people want to hear or you make promises that are not realistic about growth. And then you have a very nasty, you know, rocky ride when that growth doesn't transpire in the way that you said it would. You know, and that's a bit of a bit of a game that you have to play because, you know, you still have to sell the dream and you have to believe in the dream. And, and particularly early on, there's a lot of variables that you might get lucky, you might, you know, that mean it's hard to say with complete certainty that you know the answers to those things. And you're still experimenting. And, you know, that's true with Guild at the moment. We, we're trying various different things and some work, some don't. So you're, you're trying to get to something of a more of a formula to make that growth predictable. And so I think in, in an ideal world, you don't spend lots of money that you've got or even try and raise lots of money to do that growth until you've you're quite clear in your own mind about how it's going to work. So I think that that's, you know, sometimes the challenge is that startups, you know, they've raised money, they feel under pressure to just spend it on growth, but it's yeah. often kind of wasted. But it's very hard not to spend it because then you'll be under pressure from the investors, the VC going, well, you know, where, the growth's not there and you're not even any spending any of the money. So Chicken and egg, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it goes back to your earlier point about really being customer-obsessed and really work towards like what the market, what is the valuable problem that the market needs solving or turning it around like the way you phrased it in the beginning. It's not the problem you're solving, the aspiration they want to achieve. Either way, and that, that will drive that. So yeah, well, where can people go to find out more about your company, Guild? Probably our website's the best place to go, which is guild.co, as in .co. Yeah. And you can download the app from the app stores, iOS and Android, and you can sort of join, just you can sign up as an individual and say at the moment, you might be a little bit on your own. There are a few groups you can find to join, but soon you'll be able to discover groups or you can create your own, obviously. And where can people go to best connect with you? Is that to go to the same app or is it? Uh, well, like at the moment, I'd probably still send people to LinkedIn so you can look me up on LinkedIn, but yeah. you can connect with me on Guild, but I'd have to give you the special link. And at the moment, I'm not making that too public, to be honest, because <laughs> I don't necessarily want a thousand. I already have about 3000 connections. But yes, I will I would say it before too long when we have the ability to make your profile discoverable, our sort of dream is that, you know, in people's email signature, they have, you know, here's how you connect to me on LinkedIn, WhatsApp, you don't really have to do if you give your mobile phone number, I suppose, or Twitter, sometimes people will put, but they will in yeah. time have guilds there as well. Only for your best connections, you see, or after a meeting, like you might now go, or you have a meeting and then you try and connect with the people on LinkedIn that in the future, they will do it via Guild instead. That will be a nice thing to come through. Well, thank yeah. you very much, Ashley, <laughs> for your insights, for the story of your company, for the advice or the knowledge that you've shared here. Good luck with the business and it was a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks. And this ends my conversation with Ashley. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, 
please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Ashley Friedlein, founder and CEO of Guild. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.